And today I'm interviewing Nassim Rangwala, who works as the project scientist for the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, or commonly known as SOFIA. So it's really nice to meet you and talk to you today, Nassim. Thanks for letting me interview you. Oh, it's great to be here, Cassie, and talk to you. How are you doing? So, <laughs> I'm good, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for asking. So you are an astrophysicist by training. Um, and as I've mentioned, you're working as the project scientist for SOFIA. Could you describe a little bit about what SOFIA is to those who may not have heard it before and what you get to do in your cool role as a project scientist? Yeah, so SOFIA is an astronomical observatory that observes uh, the universe at infrared wavelengths and at longer infrared wavelengths that we call far infrared. And it's in fact the only uh, facility or astronomical observatory in the world to observe at these wavelengths currently. Um, and so what this does is, you know, by flying high in the, um, you know, at higher altitudes, up to 45,000 feet, Sophia is able to get above 99.9% .9 of the water vapor in the Earth's atmosphere. That's blocking the infrared light uh, from space. Um, and so this allows us to study the universe by flying, uh, you know, at higher altitudes in the in the far infrared. Um, if you didn't study the universe in far far infrared, um, you will be um, basically only knowing half the story about the universe. Wow, only half the story of the universe. Because, I, that, uh, most I, of the emission I, from uh, stars in other galaxies in our galaxy, they peak um, half of the radiant energy in the universe emits. Uh, at far infrared. So if you didn't study, you will only know half the universe. Oh my gosh, interesting. So what do you get to do in your role as a project scientist? So as the project scientist, my primary responsibility is to maximize the scientific return of the observatory uh, to ensure that um, we, we make SOFIA the best observatory it can be uh, for um, understanding the universe. So we get a lot of science out, but very impactful science out, as you can see from the result for a few weeks ago, where we found water on the sunlit surface of the moon. Um, and so that's my primary responsibility, but I look, I'm at a very higher level. I'm, I'm overseeing or provide oversight over everything related to science end to end, ensuring that, um, you know, there are enough uh, resources for us to get the best science re return of the observatory. And I advise that to the project management, you know, where we need to invest for maximizing science and um, how we do that. Um, and I also do a lot of strategy with a bunch of people on, on the project to, again, in, you know, increase uh, the scientific return, reach strongly engage the scientific community. That's the big part, right? As a project scientist, I'm also, um, uh, you know, it's my duty that uh, we um, listen to the community and act on that, the science community, who are the ultimate stakeholders for SOFIA or for any mm. other for any NASA mission or observatory. Mm. Well, you, you alluded to my next question, perfectly excellent segue into it. Um, SOFIA has just made so many impressive discoveries. Uh, primarily, it's been studying distant objects like the star clusters and galaxies. But the big one just came out a few weeks ago, um, water molecules on the sunlit surface of the moon. So how did this come about with Sophia uh, looking at something close, and I use close in, in air quotations, as the moon? And, and what does this discovery mean for future lunar missions? No, a very exciting topic, uh, Cassie. Um, 
we um, so we are very happy that even though, as you mentioned, that we normally say distant objects, okay, um, and our primary you know user communities are astrophysicists, astronomers. Uh, we were very excited to receive um, a proposal from a lunar scientist. It was actually a director's discretionary time proposal, so it's out of cycle. But uh, but it, you know people can still apply if it's very important and impactful and they need it right away. And uh, we were uh, like, wow, we want to. This person wants to observe moon. We, we have never observed moon. Our, our observatory is not set up to look mm -hmm. at the moon and study the moon. We didn't even know we could use our observatory to study anything on the moon until a brilliant, you know, science group uh, from a lunar community came and, and said, hey, we would like to do this. And uh, so this was really a test because the observatory wasn't set up to look at the moon. The moon moves, um, you know, these distant objects have, you know, you know, fixed locations on the sky, they don't, um, but moon moves much faster even compared to the solar system object as it orbits Earth. And so we uh, we we did it as a test. We accept, accepted it as a test. And, uh, you know, on that flight, um, we did not know whether we would saturate our detectors, whether we would saturate our guide cameras, um, whether we would get these observations at all. And so this was really a test, but the science was so compelling mm -hmm. that we had we wanted to try it and so what was a test led to a discovery and a major mm -hmm. and you know what it means for lunar mission is like now you have um an asset that you can use remotely it's mm -hmm. a you know sophia provides the unique access to this to this fingerprint the only observatory that can provide unique remote access we don't have to go to the moon that we can use to study the moon and provide those resources to future lunar missions uh, or uh, who, that are in preparation like WIPER. So they have more information to better plan their mission or prepare for what they're going to find. And so, I, and I think it's not just for future mission, scientifically it's compelling too. How did, you know, um, how does water survive on these airless bodies that don't have atmosphere? Because this helps us to understand, um, you know, maybe how water could exist on asteroids or other, um, other objects. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's great. So will the mission continue to focus on the moon? I mean, what's next for Sophia and the um, short, short, long term, I'm sure things will go back to looking at distance, but in the short term, are things going to look at the moon's continuation? Yeah, so the earliest opportunity we will have to look at the moon would be next spring, and we're really looking forward to that. We do have um, uh, some really good proposals in to continue to um, um, understand, um, you know, how this water that we found, in, you know, on the sunlit surface, how it could be created, stored, and how widespread it is on the surface of the moon. So we'll be sending up more flights um, to continue to study more locations, more sunlit locations to to see whether we find water there as well, or this was, um, you know, something sp uh, specific or special. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm really glad that you also touched the, uh, the scientific community. And, um, you know, you're at NASA Ames. SOFIA is a joint project. It's also a collective. It's a community of scientists. Um, it seems like it's a good reflection almost of the science projects that are typically conducted. Uh, it can be tricky, though, of course, when you're working with uh, different people working on a mission. It's a lot of moving pieces to manage. Have you found that the science is more robust working on a large mission when you have so many people or collective heads um, from different walks of life who are working together? Yeah, so that's that's a very good question. There are two aspects of this. One is the science community aspect. 
and one is how we actually realize the um, the ideas that are submitted to us from the community, how we turn them into observations, right, and data and provide and, and publications. So from the science community, Sophia is like any other guest observers, open observatory like Hubble, uh, Chandra, Spitzer, anybody from anywhere around the world can apply for time on Sophia. It goes through a peer review process, competitive process, and um, the best science is awarded to awarded time to um, to be observed on Sophia. So we take care of the community that way, which is a pretty standard process for any um, uh, obs open observatory like uh, Sophia. And then, um, then the fun part starts for the mission, right? How we realize those observations. And that's where you have a lot of moving pieces together. You have the aircraft operations, you have the mission operations, you have the science uh, planning, science operations and planning will be a that includes flight planners for making these really efficient flight paths to uh, to maximize the number of programs we can observe in a certain flight on a certain flight um, and then you have um, you know the community engagement side that's communicating to the community the results so and um, and and then we have our um, um, you know really steadfast German partner who is uh, you know uh, who has is a joint project with Germans and so we have that part of the uh, um, uh, project too that um, and so there are lots of moving pieces always but they come together really well this team has uh, it's one of the best teams I've worked with they they you know they work like um, you know I don't know what word I can use I think somebody. Um, a, um, a scientist was once used it, and I'll find it out for you, Cassie. But it works really at this point. It works really well. It's just very smooth. They all know what they have to do and where they have to communicate. So even though it's a big project with lots of moving parts, uh, we come together in the end and we fly missions at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's exciting. I mean, when those discoveries happen, I mean, people it must just real a real renewed effort of combining minds and going towards that that goal of. Yeah. Finding out bigger questions, <laughs> finding out yeah, more discoveries. We invite, our, uh, we invite the scientists who win time on Sophia to fly on Sophia. They're invited, and it's like it's they they love that. This is that's very exciting for them, and it's where these discoveries are really important for a team like Sophia. They work really hard. There are lots of moving parts. They don't know at the end of the day. They 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 fly the missions, but but when the results like these come out. They're like, this is why we do all of that. This is what yeah. it's worth, why it's worth it. And it's, it's really great. Yeah, I can see that. It sounds very exciting. You're getting me excited about it. <laughs> um, so I have, I have a few more questions for you that, but these are about you and about your science journey. Um, because I always like to know more about the science, the science and the scientists, the person who decided to go into this, this particular field. What inspired you to pursue space science as as your career? And you decided this is the way that I'm going to go down and this will be what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Uh, uh, Cassie, so when I was 15 years old, that's when I uh, decided that I wanted to be um, an astrophysicist or something to do with space. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and what really excited me or what really got me into this, and I was a very, I was an average student till then. I was was okay you know uh, with academics and then I um then I look then I had a chapter uh, and I was I grew up in India so you know I went to you know, school there and then we, we had a chapter there for our class where it talked about distance distances in the universe and 
I saw as as a 15 year old, I'm, I was fascinated to see, oh, my goodness, you know, um, just see the distance to the next planet, to the next mm-hmm. star, how big the galaxy is, the distance to the next galaxy and the distance, you know, to very, very galaxies far away. And I realized those were unimaginable numbers and how it made me realize how insignificant sometimes we are on earth, you know, in this little mm-hmm. planet. Um, and it was, I was like, oh, it's fascinating space. We, we've got to know about all of it now, you know, <laughs> all of the subjects. And, and then that started my interest. And um, at that time I knew I'm gonna, I was gonna pursue STEM. Um, and I uh, decided to leave my little hometown um, to pursue my dream. And at and, and that time I had heard about NASA, but, um, you know, I could not have imagined that time, that where I will be, right, where I am right now. How did you, how did you actually get involved and come on board on, at NASA? Um, so I was a NASA postdoctoral fellow here at Ames, um, and I was a Sophia user. Um, and so for my postdoctoral, after I finished my PhD, I started using Herschel Space Observatory data from Herschel, data from Alma, and data from Sophia. So, uh, you know, I was a, a avid Sophia user. Um, and at the time, the project scientist uh, got me on board Sophia as uh, her associate to help her with the, um, you know, because I was part of the Sophia community that helped her to understand more the needs of Sophia or how best to communicate with with the Sophia user or the Sophia community, how best to enhance Sophia science. So she got me on board as associate and that's where my, I I made my way up to the project scientist. Wow, that's a good, that's a good journey. First try it out and then decide that this is what you want to do. <laughs> I love yeah, that. I mean, the thing is, I was just a scientist. Well, just a scientist. I mean, I, I, I'm pure, I mostly did research till that point and mm-hmm. I got involved in the research, uh, mission work and I loved it. I never knew what I was missing. And that's why it's very important to, to always try something. Uh, take the opportunity. If you don't like it, leave it, but take it. And then you realize, oh, this is a talent uh, you didn't even know you had. I liked programmatics. I liked, you know, um, uh, being, um, you know, reaching out to the community, being part of that. I liked the mission work. I, uh, everything about it, I loved. So, um, so that was, this was great, great opportunity. Yeah. It sounds like you had some good mentors. That was going to be another question for you. Did, did you have mentors or even family members who had a role in helping to shape your science path or people you looked up to that you thought maybe I could give this a go and see what would happen? So I think there are two types of mentors, right, Cassie? One are non-science ones and one are science ones, right? As as a 15-year-old, the only thing I needed was my parents to be open-minded about, you know, and, and never say no to me, um, you know, and that's what they did when I said, you know what, I'm going to be an astrophysicist and I'm going to go leave the town and start pursuing my career. And for a second, my parents were like, what? You know, because I was an average <laughs> student, I, you know, one for 15 years, I didn't say anything. And one day I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, there's like, oh, good, you know, pursue it. And we'll see how it goes. And that's the first step. You know, my family is is phenomenal in terms of supporting all the kids. Uh, you know, it's my closest family and extended family. And that's where it starts. My brother was also pursuing engineering degree. And he's also a um, he also did a Ph.D. after that. So that that's always good to have in your family somebody who's guiding you. And, um, you know, then, um, you know, here when I 
um, came to NASA, you know, um, it's a very diverse place. It's very inclusive. Mm -hmm. I uh, um, found that then project scientists, you know, took um, Kimberly Anico, who was a project scientist, really saw something in me and promoted me. And, and there were a lot of people around me um, who, who were doing the same. So, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, it, it can make a big difference. But also, I tell people sometimes you may not have role models. When I was in my hometown, there were no women who were going to pursue it. Absolutely not. I just had to take that leap of faith and dream, dream big and try to pursue them. Um, that's all you can do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your excitement is contagious. Um, you're, you know, one of the things I wanted to say, maybe we could close out on this, but you know, people love space. It's exciting. Like I said, your excitement is awfully contagious. It can, it can feel like um, the stories that come out. Uh, it's like a feel good story. Uh, we can all get behind it because we want to make these discoveries. What would you want to convey to the public about space science and why it's exciting, why we should continue to pursue it? Um, that motivation, that factor that gets you up in the morning of I can't wait that we can go and do this and see what's going to happen. What would you want to convey to the public about that? You know, to the young kids, I think, um, uh, you know, who I have often seen that folks who go into um, STEM, field of STEM, science, technology, uh, engineering, any of this, they are, I've always often seen them first inspired by space. Everybody, you know, no matter which part of the world you live in, in the night, you look up at the night sky and you are just amazed by what you see in the night sky. Okay, how can you not be? How can you not want to know more about it? So it, it it's a universal language. It inspires everybody, right? And, um, you know, when there is, um, you know, space, you know, learning more about the universe, exploration, um, and, and many aspects of science that that promote uh, that allows us to understand um, our planets, uh, our planet, you know, our planetary system, the universe, um, also advances technology for other things that we are doing on Earth. So it has many more applications than just that, and and just it it inspires people. And when you inspire people, there is um, no matter how difficult the times are. Um, there is always hope. There's always you, you have this 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 drive that no, we're going to keep moving forward. Uh, we landed humans on moon in 1969, right? When times yeah. were tough, we were yeah. so we we want to continue these discoveries. Really inspire people, and we saw that with the result on the moon. Um, for a second, we were able to step aside from the pandemic, from fires. Um, from other news around the world and and focus on something that was so amazing that 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 we did um, in in twenty min in twenty minutes of our time on a flight uh, high above um, you know high up in the stratosphere. I love that. I think that's a perfect end way to capture just the, the human ingenuity and the human spirit of conducting science. So Nassim, I want to say thank you so much for the interview. I look forward to learning more about Sophia's future discoveries and. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. So thank you. Oh, you're most welcome. It's my pleasure.